All right, we're back with this lockdown. Support for teens. It's me, Taki Ma'ata March, a month dedicated to having Kakalan guests from all walks of life come and share their stories to give us a small glimpse into their worlds, especially that part of life that is so formative, so tumultuous, so emotionally challenging. It's that time between childhood and adulthood. And with over 150 guests interviewed in the last 10 months, check out the topic folders on the FB group page or simply click the media tab and then the video tab and see whose faces you might recognize. We just finished our first series that opened the year. So I want to say thank you to all our 2021 guests from this past month. We had 12 of you, a dozen of you, including award-winning journalist, Mr. Kenny Lesar in Samoa. We had Dr. Ray Samoa in Los Angeles, USA at City Hope. We had league and union footballer, Mr. Missy Tolapapa in Sheffield, United Kingdom. We crossed over to Faith Beteru, teaching English in Japan. And of course, who can forget our aspiring opera singer, Mr. Samson Setu, over there in New York City, USA. You know, guys, each of you have shown me that anything is possible for our young teens. Your courage to step out and achieve great things are a challenge to all of us. And listening to your interviews again this past week has reminded me that whatever we are facing, your stories of overcoming familiar hardships and a genuine heart for family and community will speak to many of our membership. So to all our amazing guests this past month, wishing you and your families a safe and favorable new year ahead. Thank you so much. Our Instagram handle is Pacific Lockdown Support number four teens, if you prefer to follow us that way, and would love you to be a member of this global group. From across the blue Pacific continent, our members reside. So do make use of the invite key and ask like-minded family and friends to join this positive, uplifting space created to generate light, generate light and never heat. So, metaki maata to my friend Tai in Brown Street, Ponsonby, for hooking me up with my next guest and for the intro and for connecting me with him. Um, our guest today is Labour Pacifica Caucus Comms Advisor. He has previously worked for the Cook Island Government. He's a background in counselling and education. He's described as a valuable advocate for both the Cook Islanders and, of course, the wider Pacific community. An increasing media presence recently, and he's a regular contributor to the Cook Islands News. So I'm excited to chat with him. So welcome, welcome to all of you from across the globe, across our blue Pacific continent. I'm Simotafa Alex. So click a like and a share, and let your network know right now that we're about to start. That's right. Click, click, share, share. That's right. <laughs> Our mothers are often our first teachers, and it's very much the case with my guest today. He tells me that she taught me to challenge injustice and to, to connect to his culture and to cultural values. And her quote to him was that we should always give people the benefit of the doubt. That's awesome. Simply put, always look for the best in people and their intentions and motives. So welcome, Thomas Tarurongo Win. So happy to share the space with you. Yeah, nice to be here with you today. Really, really nice to be here. Quite a privilege, actually. <laughs> okay, Mr. Labour Comps. All right. I've got a birthday on Sunday night. Um, are we going to level down so I can level up? <laughs> yeah, look, I hope so. I really do hope so. Things are looking good. No community transmission today, none yesterday. So, you know, we're all hoping for a good result and that everything goes back to uh, post-COVID normal again. 
But seriously, though, I mean, how's your week been? I mean, you're in Wellington, you're in the capital, so you're only in level two, and we're in Okilani, we're level three. So are you winning down there? Is the capital winning? Are you winning? Yeah, the capital's good. Uh, you know, catch the bus every day. Everybody's wearing a mask. Uh, we're, we're all at work, uh, those that need to be at work. But uh, I did notice that the bus is maybe half empty. There's a lot of people working from home that are taking the opportunity to just stay in their bubble. So, you know, we uh, definitely, um, with Auckland, uh, as far as uh, doing all that we can and, you know, that whole idea of being part of that team of five million and uh, just, just doing our part. Everybody, it's just so good to see everybody just doing their part, signing in, scanning in. It's, it's good, really, really good. Well, welcome again. So glad to have you with us in the space. So happy that you're my second guest for Metakim Ata March, where we're like just talking to people from across all different walks of life, different people in the Kukalan community, just come and share a little bit about their life. So I really, really am grateful that you've taken the time out to be with us this afternoon. But I just want to start with the pictures that you gave. Now, as you explain yeah. the pictures to me, because I asked all my guests to send through pics and put up on the Facebook page, just to give us a sort of like insight into who they are. So Thomas sent me through some photos. So I'm going to chuck those up now. But tell us why you chose those particular, why you chose those particular um, pictures. Yeah, I, I, I guess the, like they talked about the really significant things for me. Uh, you know, I, I, I just moved back from Rakao, so I was there for nearly 12 years. Um, probably sailing on our Waka uh, was the most significant of all the things that I was able to do. And, you know, just putting it out there, I'm the last person that should be sailing on a Waka because I get sick really bad. I suffer from the worst kind of seasickness. And um, I was sick every day, almost every day that we were out on the water. But there were there were vital lessons that I learned on the ocean that I never would have learned on the land about who I was as a person, who I was as a Pacific person, and really about our relationship with the ocean. Because often we think of ourselves in our relationship with the land, with our village, with our hapu, our iwi, um, the, the tribe we're from, uh, but not always our ocean. And, um, you know, New Zealand Māori, you know, they their iwi relate to often the waka that, that arrived here. But for us as Pacific people, we don't have that same waka connection. And we've always sort of seen the waka as something that, that, that fishermen do, you know, because we, we use the waka really to, to be out on the reef. But we are absolutely connected to the ocean through our voyaging. And, you know, there are aspects of who we are as a people, especially around the ideas of resilience and our ability to adapt and our ability to overcome um, that, I, that I personally experienced at a really deep level uh, on the ocean that I would never have learned anywhere else. That's why the, those photos are significant for me. Um, I didn't send you the photos of me lying on the deck spewing because those aren't so flash, but I definitely will send, send you the ones of me holding the oi because those are the, those are the money shots. 
<laughs> I'm sure your wife has a picture. They put them on, man. Share the love. Share the love. <laughs> put the pictures on. Click a like and share it to your friends. I mean, it's so good. I really love the pics. They're really awesome. And yeah, yeah. I really just I thought it was really important that we just ask you about those. So if you are, if you know this man, Thomas, show him some love. Click a like and some love as we continue our conversation this afternoon. Hey, you know, so much of who we are as adults, Thomas, is directly influenced by the experiences we have in our formative years and in, yes. in many occasions in our high school years our teen years um you shared with me um one of your introductions or one of the early introductions into the world of politics you know it was back in high school and it has all the usual suspects it has politics board of governors yeah. Constitution, yeah. nominations, uh, national first, and a precedent set. So, um, you know, just tell our audience a little bit about that experience because I love that story. Yes, yeah, so when I was in year 13, uh, which was year form seven back then, I, I was very fortunate to go to Mount Hobart Grammar School, a school that I still love dearly. And uh, in my year 13, myself and my friend realized that we there was no student representation on what was then called the Board of Governors. So we looked at the constitution, we nominated each other. Um, the school was like very upset that we had done that. Um, but they, you know, there was no way that they could stop it. So we put ourselves through the process. We had to speak in front of, uh, which was probably the scariest thing, in front of a, a large group of parents about why we should be nominated or voted on as board of trust, board of governors back then. But we convinced this girl at Auckland Grammar to do this, Auckland Girls Grammar, to do the same thing. So the three of us stood, and it was the first time ever that students had actually stood for a student voice in a high school. And this was back in 1984. Anyway, uh, myself and my friend, uh, we didn't get on in Mount Albert, but the girl at, Mount, at Auckland Girls did. And she, you know, that was just a game changer. And, uh, you know, I'm really, really proud, really happy to be a part of um that legacy which is now of course this this student representation we wouldn't think how could there not be but there was a time when no one cared what students thought and uh you know i was a part of that and i'm really proud of that you know i'm proud of, proud that um we showed courage in that in that moment and that's often what it takes and you know we see the same thing playing out with uh, young people at school at the moment with climate change and I'm just so proud of the activism of young people today uh, talking about climate change, which is something that they have inherited. This is something that generations before them have uh, spoiled, and yet they are the ones really at the forefront championing um, climate change and saying that, that you know, that's just not good enough. And I love that. Solid, solid reflection and, you know, a real sense of empowerment for any teen at all. And, you know, uh, I sense it in what you're saying. You've mentioned a couple of things there, but if I could ask, just just re recalling or remembering um, that young boy in, in 1984, I mean, if you had to pinpoint, um, if you had to pinpoint a certain, I guess, domino, a certain key that sort of like was the nudge that, you know, allowed you guys to move forward and, and have that sort of like boldness. You talked about it. Is, is it just that sense of, you know, self-will, willfulness on yourself? If there was one key that you could like draw out for us, for our viewers, what, what could it be for that young man, I guess? Yeah, I think I definitely, uh, and I touched on it earlier, uh, courage. I think, um, you know, we learn to be courageous 
in our families because sometimes you know we find ourselves in situations as children that we have very little control over and we need to be courageous despite those things uh, because you know those circumstances were not of our making um and we learn to, to live and be vital anyway uh and then of course we learn you know that the world's not just and you know of sometimes through our childhood we learn that the world's not just and the question then is what do we then do with that sense of injustice and how do we manage that in a way that we can cause things to change because initially we want to make that change for ourselves uh, but then we realize that actually there's a world around us that needs change and it takes courage to step into that space because you're very much on your own and and i remember even earlier back in 1981 you know there were maybe four or five of us at school in a rugby school that were opposed to the springbok tour when it happened in new zealand and i remember the opposition even from my own classroom even from teachers at the time that said that rugby and politics shouldn't mix but in my mind apartheid was wrong and what they were doing in south africa was wrong and i you know i had the courage of my own convictions to to say that you know to call it for what it was despite the fact that probably the largest uh, message from the culture of the school that i was in at the time was just leave it alone Total courage all the way. Courage, courage. I feel like I'm a bit of a setup because my first guest was Reverend Mata, and now it's you, Thomas, and you're both talking about Mount Albert Grandma. I feel like Henry, <laughs> Henry, if you're watching, if this is going to be a Mount Albert Grandma fest, bro, <laughs> change your ways, bro. If you're listening, guys. <laughs> Guest number three cannot be from Mount Abergrama. I can see Tony I can see all my Mount Abergrama, even my nieces and nephews. I like yes, Mount Abergrama. All right, guys. Anyway, so many, so many of us listening, though, seriously, Thomas, so many of us listening today, share your gratitude and your respect for our parents. You know, because we recognize now, being a little bit older, about you know the sacrifices they made and all the hard work that they did. Um, mm -hmm. But you think about how you truly realized um some of those sacrifices and, and, and what they actually achieved when you went back to the cook islands to Rotonga. um i'd love if you'd unpack a little bit about that because so many of our young people who have not been back home and i too uh was here in new zealand and i did i shared the same experience as you where mm. you know, it wasn't until i went back to samoa that i learned and appreciated so many things and understood also the headspace and the context of a Pacific mindset. So I'd love you to unpack that a little bit about what were some of the realizations? What were those realizations? Yeah, quite simply, you know, when our, our parents, our grandparents, our uncles, our aunties, you know, our families, you know, moved from a place where, where they were dominant, where they owned the land, where they owned the houses they lived in, where they could work that land to feed themselves, where people didn't go hungry, where there was always a roof over their heads. But more importantly, there was a real sense of identity and connection. And I can't under underestimate, I don't want to, it's not to be underestimated because if you think of all of the issues that face specific people at the moment, you can almost trace them all back to a sense of connection or disconnection. 
And when we have connection, we thrive. I've, I've seen it with my own two eyes. I remember the first day, uh, the first week when I was working at Teddy Otter College as a counselor, the first Friday assembly, standing in assembly with 800 kids, and they're all standing there in their jandals and their school uniform. And, and they're singing Emini uh, Tuki, which is like a, a Cook Island hymn. And I, I just it just reduced me to tears. And I was standing there thinking to myself, why, is, why am I crying? And, uh, you know, it was just at that moment I realized that they had something that I didn't. Yeah. And, it, and it was deep. And it was just so real. You know, it was not like Pacifica for a day. It wasn't Polyfest in a celebration. It was an everyday lived experience and a connection to something that, you know, when you meet people that are connected, that sometimes the, 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 what it does for you is you realize how disconnected you are. And in that moment, I realized how disconnected I was. And my next response was, what are some of the courageous things that I need to do to connect myself? And that's very much how I spent the next 12 years. And, you know, voyaging on the Vaka or being a part of the Vaka was one. Um, another picture I've got there is standing at the investiture of one of our chiefs in our village uh, was another. Um, and, you know, I received a traditional tattoo on my legs when I was in Raro, and that was the third one. You know, the one that the one that's escaped me is is the language, but I'm still working on. It. I was actually at, in a Cook Island Maori class last night. My understanding is better, but I'm not so confident yet in the speaking. But I'm gonna I'm gonna get there. You know, it's 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 that thing that I still need to be working on. But coming back to your question, connection, um, it is so important. When we're disconnected, it is so dangerous for us. Is very unhealthy. I couldn't have put it any better, and you took the words right out of my mouth. Even the formation of this platform, just connecting with all the different people in the community, just really just fuels your sense of identity. I totally really resounds with what you're saying. Like just being the mouthpiece and being able to connect people and say, "Hey, would you like to tell your story?" Even I could feel. Yeah. Like I could feel a sense of like my own my own identity growing and expanding, and I I do have the language and I do have those experiences. So I totally totally know exactly what you mean about the connection and talking about the guys singing in the school. I felt that when I used yeah. to travel around with youth groups, um, with uh, performing artists around Aotearoa and would see the Maori schools, the Te Reo Maori schools, yes. calling their yes. songs and their haka and in Samoan. Mm. Yeah, there's just something completely. Yeah, you cannot explain it until you, and then it does reduce right. your tears. It does reduce your tears. So, oh, a challenge to all of our parents and all of our young people, connection is the word that we get mm. from Thomas. Mm. Thank you so much yeah. for that reminder. Solid word. No problem. So, how is purpose, I mean, how is purpose paramount for you as a Pacific man? Well, purpose, if we, if we think of the vaka as an analogy, um, you know, once once you get past the reef, um, you're out on the ocean. Uh, you know, purpose is very much about very much about our ability to navigate um, from the space between where I am and where I want to get to. And you know, now of course the word va has become synonymous with this idea of space between people, space between where I am and where I want to get to. Um, so you know, purpose is very much about 
well, I mean, as much as it says, you know, it's the reason as to why. And, you know, often we think of, you know, when we're taking people through job interview now, job interviews, it's your CV is not just about what you've done, but, you know, your CV is also about your whys. And we think of that as people used to talk about mission statements, which are really a thing that people don't talk as much about and more about the why. Uh, and the purpose is important because um, when you're on the ocean and you're in a storm and you actually don't know whether you're going to make it to the other side, your why becomes hugely important because your why will ensure that you keep going and your why will ensure that you stick to that sense of that deeper sense of I know that I'm heading in the right direction, despite the storms that are happening around me, despite the fact that I sometimes can't even see where I'm going, despite the fact that the elements are throwing everything at me, I'm still going to keep doing what I'm doing and still head in the same direction that I'm heading in. And that is purpose. Purpose is the reason as to why you do what you do. And it really is uh, the the engine driver that will move you from where you are through those obstacles to the other side. And then, of course, once you get there, you realize you actually only part the way through the journey is you've only arrived at one point and you've still got more to go. So your why develops, you know, your why changes with each season in your life. My why as a 50 year old man is different to it was as a 40 year old man, different, different to the guy that was standing up in high school doing a speech about why why I should uh, stand for board of governors you know um, your, your why develops and changes but but again brother you know um, if you're disconnected from your why then you will get lost it's really really important that you find out what that is and uh, we had we had Reverend Mutter on and obviously he was uh, he's advocate for his faith and talking about spirituality and having that balance. Yes. And you've yes. talked today about having your why in your life. You're talking mm -hmm. about going back to the Rotong and connection. You know, I, I guess I'd like to throw this one at you um, about uh, relationship and I guess role modeling and mentorship. That's a huge thing that comes across in this platform, uh, especially for our young men, the ones who are just falling through the gaps. And I think if there was somebody that you could uh, could mention today, I guess, outside of your family, is there mm. a man, a Pacific man um, or, or woman that, um, I guess, spoke into your life or what it was, even if you can't remember who it was, but maybe the particular mm. thing that they did that really helped you on your journey? Are you able to speak into that? Yeah, I, I, I can. I, you know, the person that probably comes to mind most uh, is my uncle, John, um, who I, you know, spent some time with when I was younger. Um, and he always stayed in my life. I mean, he lived in Wellington. He passed away a couple of years ago, unfortunately. Um, but what he taught me um, was love without condition. And he just loved me unconditionally. And that really, whenever he was in my life, which was not often or not a lot, it filled up my tank. That was definite. And we, you know, I, I'm a parent, you know, I, I, I parent knowing my failures and my successes. And sometimes some of those chapters have been more failures than successes. Um, 
and that's a parent's lot. I mean, that's what we live, you know, that's something that we have to navigate and negotiate. Um, and sometimes it's not your parents. And sometimes it's people outside of that. Sometimes it's a rugby coach. Sometimes it's a teacher. Sometimes it's a whaiwhiao or a minister or a mito or whatever. Um, but, but somewhere in that relationship, there is something unconditional in it. Because that's what causes us to go back again and again and again. And I have a faith. I mean, my faith is very real, very tangible. And so I understand God's unconditional love for me. And I understand also that I have needed people on the ground that loved me unconditionally also. And my uncle was definitely that man for me. But I, I, look, I, I think, you know, to answer the question probably fully, I think in, in chapters in our life, there are, there are people that come in and do that. And then they, they move out again. And then in other chapters, there's someone else. Um, so again, it's quite dynamic. And if there's no one there for you at the moment, then look for them. You know, they are in your world around there. And, and yeah, that, that would be my advice to that. But, uh, awesome. Yeah, my uncle's definitely that, that man for me. Heads up to uncle and to all the uncles out there and all those leaders and mentors. We appreciate you and the work you're doing. Look, Pacific Lockdown Support for Teens is sort of like the model of the mountain, the tree, and the canoe. The mountain being our, you know, missing our legends, the knowledge passed down, our matua, our elders, the ones who have the big vision, they can see long into the into the distance. And then the canoe is actually like our rangatahi, our, our, our young teens, are the ones who are actually, they can see the fish, they can feel the water, they feel the breeze they're actually right there on the coal face and in the tree is i guess mm. where i place yourself um you you know and you can see and appreciate what's up on them from the, what the mountain can see but you also can see the realities of being in the canoe uh, you have a you have a background in education and in uh in counseling so to close us off today could you give us a couple of practical tools that families or individuals could introduce into their lives today um, that'll promote, you know, healthier spaces, headspaces, and healthier Pacific mm. families? Mm. Well, I, I think on the, in, on the I think on the individual level, just you know, for, for everyone as a, as an individual, I, I think uh, something we don't talk about a lot, uh, and something I think that is quite misunderstood is the whole aspect of forgiveness. And, uh, you know, if you can forgive, then you'll, you know, you will thrive in places where you maybe haven't before. And, you know, there's a lot to it. I mean, it's, it's not as simplistic as just saying, I forgive you, but, you know, often in life, to be quite honest, often in life, the first, the first group of people we learn to forgive are our parents. Because when we move from children to, to, to adults, we look back and we realize that they didn't do a perfect job, but they couldn't do a perfect job. And sometimes uh, some of that imperfection, you know, hurt us in ways, you know, that were deep. But if we can't move past that, then we can't be the adults that we want to be. And we'll be continually caught up in that poison of unforgiveness. And so that's that's the first one, and that's for the individual. But I think for you know, and, but I think for us as a community, um, again, you know, I, I, if there's one thing that we can, as Pacific people, uh, 
teach or our gift to New Zealand, to Aotearoa, is um, community. We do that so well. You know, we when we come together, what's what I've seen time and time again, when we come together with a single purpose, uh, there is nothing that we cannot do and achieve. Our biggest issue has been division and being divided. And sometimes that's been the product or the byproduct or the fruit of colonialism. That's been the fruit of tribalism uh, or the fruit of uh, greed sometimes uh, or um, selfishness. But when I've seen us come together, you know, like on a vaka, there are no individuals on a vaka. You are a team and you are a team because if you aren't, then you're not going to make it to the other side. Thomas Tarurongo Wen, guys, dropping down some truth for us here on Metaki Maatamad. Are you hearing the truth? I feel like I'm in church. I feel I'm getting an education <laughs> right now. If you've just joined us, you need to go back to the beginning and watch from the start because this man is speaking some truth. He is, of course, our Labour Pacifica Caucus Comms Advisor down there in Wellington. New Zealand Aotearoa. This is me, Taki Mata March, and it's such a pleasure to have you here. On behalf of all our membership, Thomas, I just want to say a sincere warm thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to come and share some of your story, some of your Mount Albert grandma story. Again, Henry, kick <laughs> yourself, brother. Mount Albert grandma. But hey, all the best to you on 2021, and we wish you and your family all the best. To close us out, one last word to our viewers as we finish for today for me, Taki Mata March. From you to them, we'll finish there and then we'll God bless you. Yeah, well, Meitaki Ra Nui Nui, which is from the island of Archie, where my family's from. Meitaki Ra Nui Nui. Let's just, let's just keep working together as, as a family of five million uh, to get this COVID thing behind us and managed and reach out to someone and just let them know that you care. It's really, really important.